0: How you doing? I don't know if you forgot this yet or not, but Brandon and Sarah got engaged last night. What? I feel so honored to even be able to watch that. Isn't that cool? It's like, wow. They've done it right, haven't they? Man, they have done dating and this whole thing right. You guys are really blessed to have them. I'm going to just put the little, I'm going to just put these down right here, worship team. That's where they'll be, I'm just gonna move. I have a clumsiness streak in me. Is that a bad idea to move that out of the way? Okay, I'm just gonna go with that. Also, if you could get my strobe light going, I feel like I can't really do this without it. I feel real insecure without my special friend, the blinking light in my face. And Jeff, could you bring me my water? I'm a hot mess, I'm just so comfortable with you. It's just like, I don't know, what am I gonna say? I'm just playing, just playing. I just want to start, you guys, by um, going off script for a minute. Because this is our last morning with you. Jeff and I are sad about that. We, t- we, we mentioned that this morning. We're, this is our last window with you, and it has been such a treat. <clears throat> such a treat in every sense of the word. <clears throat> and I just want to share from my heart for a minute some things we've seen in you over the course of the weekend um, a few traits that we think, you know, sometimes it helps when it's not your campus pastor saying it, but it's when, when it's some, someone from the outside coming in saying, wow, this really is true of you. And, and a few of those things I want to share with you are these. You are a community who thanks. You don't have to write these down. Just receive it. Just receive it from me. You're a community who thanks. We have been thanked... I can't even tell you how many times. And it is so countercultural. Not, I mean, not, not even just, you know, the part of the country we're in, but just in terms of human interaction, <laughs> you're such thankful people. And so we just want to say thank you back for um, your thankful hearts. We think gratitude opens up access to the wonders of God in our lives. Gratitude has that power, and we see that gratitude in you. We also think that you're a community who, who asks. You don't just swallow what we say blindly. I have had not only so many interactions with those of you thanking us, but I've had a few interactions with those of you asking us, "What did you mean by that? You know, um, where where is that in scripture? You know, like um, it's a thing called." Gordon Fee, one of our favorite theologians, he talks about three different kinds of loyalty. He talks about simple loyalty, he talks about blind loyalty, and he talks about critical loyalty. Simple loyalty means you know some things about your community or your leadership are way off, but you're like, you don't care. You're like, eh, whatever, I'm good with it, I'm just going to kind of ignore it and, and move on, be comfortable. Blind loyalty means you just think that leader, whatever they say is true, and you just swallow it, and you don't ask questions, and you just like, don't think for yourself, blindly loyal. Critical loyalty, which he says is the goal, which I see in you, is a loyalty that asks, that says, wait, I didn't understand that, or wait, that feels funny, or I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I agree with that. Can we talk more about that? It's a loyalty that engages, and um, it's the best Kind of, it's a kind of loyalty that Jesus invites us to, and I see that in this community, just in the way that you've responded to us. Um, finally, you're a community that says hello, and here's what I mean by that. Saturday, Jeff and I were walking to a session, and a guy walked past us who's not from Focus; he's from some other group, and um, we were like, "Hey!" and he was like, Argh. "Like he did like a grunt. It was like a little. Argh. I don't even know." And I just said. I said, that's not a focus hello. <laughs> I said that to Jeff, that's not a focus hello. And he's like, they're not from focus. Because you say hello. And you have, you have such a friendly demeanor towards not just us as the speakers, but towards each other. The way you love each other and um, invite each other into community is remarkable. So those things are things we've noticed about you. So just receive that, receive a well done from God in, in the ways that you have exhibited those qualities and many more qualities, okay? Um, when Jeff and I were thinking about this last sort of few minutes with you, um, what we could leave you with here at the end, um, we got to thinking, we got to praying, and especially now that we're on the ground here with you, we got, we got excited. Um, we got excited not just about your now, in college, we got excited about your future, excited about your then, you know, after college. And we realized that um, we don't, we don't want to leave you with a vision for being a sent one just in college. We want to leave you with a sense of anticipation for being a sent one no matter what stage of life you're in. Whether you're, you know, whether you are a young, high-energy, high-caffeine <laughs> college student or whether you're, you know, a sleep-deprived parent of young children or whether you're a computer programmer at Microsoft or whether you're a retired person trying to figure out how to contribute to the world, right? It's fun. It's really fun for us to think about where you might go after college in all of these different phases and stages, um, we can't see into your future. Jeff and I can't provide that for you this weekend. We don't have a magic eight ball. You can't see into your future. Um, we don't know what your circumstances will be, what your job will look like, what your relational status will look like, what family might look like. We don't know, you know what losses you might face or what um, hopes might be fulfilled in your life. But, but what we do know... And what we do sense is that um, God is going to use you to reach the world. We sense that. And the reason we sense that is not just because we have this impression, but because we see it happening now. And because what we're doing now significantly influences what we do then. It has a shaping power in us. And it's exciting for us to see you starting that process. And to borrow a phrase, I have this favorite author, I've quoted her before. She says it this way, and I want to say it this way. Every choice we make is an investment in a future we cannot see. Every choice we make is an investment in a future we cannot see. And this weekend, by coming to camp, you have chosen to invest in a future you cannot see. Every time you listened to the Lord this weekend, every time you had a walk and talk and opened up with someone, every time that you said yes to Jesus, um, every uh, goal you made or moment that you submitted to the Lord— is an investment in a future you cannot see. It has a shaping power in you to prepare you. Did you know that that everything you're doing is preparing you for life after college? And graduation may seem pretty far away. It's not. It's gonna happen like that, okay? For a future you cannot see. For a generation, there's a generation that awaits you down the road, people you haven't met yet. And I love how the psalmist puts it. He says this, Psalm 45, 17. From generation to generation, I will cause your name to be remembered. Therefore, people will thank you forever and ever. And I love that. I, lo- I love that from generation to generation. I mean, did you know that you're preparing for the next generation now? I, d- I know in college, I didn't think like that. I didn't really think past the next week, really, (laughs) my next exam. But we can start causing his name to be remembered for our kids and our grandkids today in college. So our hope, our hope as you guys are doing all the things, you know, as you're doing the small groups, you're doing the classes, you're doing the mission trips, you're doing the one-on-ones, as you're doing all the things that you wouldn't just... You wouldn't just do all the things and then graduate, get a job, and live a decent life. Our, Our hope is that you would let focus set the stage, all the things that you're a part of, that you would let them set the stage for you to internalize the kingdom of God deep down, really deep down in your bones, so that you can keep influencing people for Christ for a lifetime when you're no longer a part of Focus, because you're not gonna be part of Focus forever unless you're Brandon Warsham. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not gonna be a part of this sacred community like this forever. You're not supposed to be. And our prayer is that Jesus and his love would captivate you for the rest of your life. That is Jeff in my heart for you as, as we leave, causing God's name to be remembered generation after generation but here's the reality the reality is there's some pretty big differences aren't there between life in college and life after college Um, when it especially when it comes to being a sent one it's not a bad thing it just looks different so I want us to take a minute jot down in your notebook um, just take one minute try to think what are some of the differences between college life and post-college life when it comes to being a sent one Just some initial thoughts. Okay. We had a 40th year um, CCF reunion a few years ago, and we had an opportunity for alumni to stand up and kind of give a word to the community. And this one guy stood up, and he was like, it's terrible after college. (laughs) Just be glad for what you have now, because it's never going to be the same. And we were like, oh, geez, like, it was just the whole room just went, wah, 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 you know, and so I am not going to do that. Just, just, in, just so you know, I'm not going to be that person. Because Jesus was never in college, you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't say, like, college ministry is the only place this can happen. Um, he said, like, life, wherever there are human beings, this gospel can be present and Making a difference. So, But, but I, I think it's helpful while you're in college to just start anticipating. What are some of the differences? And this is not just for seniors, right? This is for freshmen. If you're, if you're like, I'm going to tune you out because I have like four or five years left. It goes fast. And if you can start recognizing these differences now and implementing some of these takeaways, you're going to be so much more prepared. Okay? So some of the differences, just briefly, just I'll name them quickly. Um, in college, you have more discretionary time. You feel busy, I know you feel busy, you feel like life is full. You actually have a little bit more squish time in your life now than you will then. Partly because you you might get a job after college, you might have a family, um, and there's just less discretionary time. Here's another difference. Most of the people you're reaching out to right now are similar to you in the same stage of life as you. After college, not everyone you reach is going to be similar to you. Um, with the same stage of life, okay? Um, In college, it's a treat because other people are reaching out alongside you. There's a sense of collective momentum, collective accountability with this um, act of reaching out. After college, other people might not be with you at your job or in your neighborhood, reaching out alongside you, physically next to you um, all the time. Uh, Students in college, their worldviews are just suddenly disrupted. I mean, Jeff shared his story. His worldview suddenly went, what? And it it became in flux, right? It became more malleable. Um, After college, worldviews are a little more set. However, some big transitions take place after college, like suddenly having children, and disrupts your worldview again. So the door is not closed to helping shape a worldview after college. It's just a little more set. Um, And then finally, you know, in college, you can get to know people and go deep quickly. You know, you can deep dive. It's like, you know, Jeff talked about orange juice and um, how it's like orange juice concentrate. You can deep dive quickly, um, relationally, but after college, gaining relational traction takes a little more time, slower, okay? These are not bad or good. They just... I think they just emphasize really the unique opportunity that you're in, in college compared to the rest of your life. Um, So this morning, you know, I don't have like three points, thank goodness I'd be here for a while. I, I have one, Jeff and I have one big takeaway, okay, that we learned in college, that we started applying in college, and that still applies to our lives now. Um, And that takeaway is this. Your mission is where your feet are. Okay, your mission is where your feet are. Join me in reading. Um, I'm like a paper Bible person, so it's just something about opening up that I I really love and that I'm going to be doing even when no one else is doing it anymore. Luke eight forty through 44, okay? Open your Bible if you want or read it on the screen. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Have you, as you read the Gospels, have you ever noticed how often Jesus is interrupted? He's interruptible. He is interrupted by opportunities constantly that are physically interrupted physically right in front of him. You know, over and over again, Jesus is on his way somewhere. He's he's on his mission. But people interrupt his progress. You know, they run up to him. They grab his robe. They they touch him. They reach for him while he's en route somewhere else. And in this particular passage, we see see physically Jairus falling at Jesus' feet, right? And then we see a woman touching his cloak. Um, there's a lot we could unpack about this passage, but the point I want to make is this, is that Jesus' mission field was where his feet were. That everywhere he goes, every person he encounters, every seeming interruption is his mission, no matter what his plan was. Now, this is something that um, I learned in college. You know, up until that point in high school, I kind of, I thought being missional meant going on mission trips, so before college, I went on mission trips. I went overseas mission trips. But I wasn't missional. I, um, I learned this in college. And I think the point where I learned it in college for me was living in the residence halls on campus. Um, Western, that is our primary living environment for freshmen and sophomores is the residence halls. that those, I learned that those who you brush your teeth with <laughs> those who you pass in the lounge, those who you like bump trays with in the dining hall, that those are the people whose hearts are ready for relationship and and, um, friendship and that it's easier to build those relationships when those natural day-to-day interactions are happening, those those life-on-life moments, they build trust. They build familiarity, and that's why, you know, at Western, that's why we really challenge our students to live on campus or as close to campus as they possibly can. So, you know, if you ever wonder, if you are wondering, man, I, where is my mission field? What, where, where is that? What, who is that? I, what, I'm, what I want you to do is I want you to get back on campus. I want you to look down at your feet, at the ground you're walking on. I want you to look up a little, look at the feet, Of the people walking on the same ground, look up, and there's your mission field, okay? This idea, um, this was especially formative for me, the end of my sophomore year at Western. The end of my sophomore year, um, there was this mass exodus of students moving off campus um, with their best friends. It's kind of a thing you do in Bellingham. Um, you you get friends, by then you have friends, you move off campus, you move into a house, and then you give it this really obnoxious name. (laughs) Some of you Sikkim students may have noticed this phenomenon, you know, like the mansion, or the home, or, you know, the North Star. Okay, the lily pad, and even the barn. (laughs) There's even one that's called the barn. I'm like, come on, guys. Um, I remember, and in my sophomore year, how nice that sounded that sounded nice to move into a cozy home with my BFFs. You know, it's, it's fine brushing your teeth with random people, but it's really nice to brush your teeth with people that you can choose to be around, okay? Those houses are still missional. Like, God is still using them. But that sophomore year, as I prayed, I discovered that living on campus just makes it easier, That as I looked down at my feet, I didn't have to look very far to see the feet of those hungry for relationship. You know, hungry to um, talk about God, to experience the love of Christ. And it's harder to find those feet off campus. It's still possible, it's just harder. Okay, so my friend, I saw from here, my friend Alicia and I, she and I started talking and praying and we said, what if we move in together in an on-campus apartment um, as best friends, we move in together and we invite a couple of international students to live with us. So my junior and senior year, they're called the Burnham Wood Apartments, they are ugly as all get out. Um, and they're cheap as all get out too, which is helpful. Um, so for two years, Alicia and I started living with international students and we ended up living with students from uh, Chile, Japan, Korea, Australia, and Poland, because they, you know they come for a quarter, they come for a couple quarters. This is a picture um, of me and Alicia on the right, and then the girl t- immediately to my left is Mariana from Chile and then Kumiko from Japan. And it was so much fun. It was the funnest years of my life. Like, seriously, I look back. It was the best. It was, it was living together. It, w- it was beca- because we were able to share life together in that space we were able to also share our rescue stories with them of how Jesus has rescued us. I mean, this happened because we brushed our teeth with them, had meals with them, because our feet touched the same ground, okay? Now, fast forward, you know, post-college, life is, life is different. Jeff and I don't live on campus anymore. Isn't that sad? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> sort of. The principle, but the principle of this still applies. Um, After we got married, we moved into this little teeny tiny rundown apartment. Um, And I I called it the shack. It was special. It It had wood paneling and like orange shag carpet. And when we first moved in, there was like this taxidermy deer Like that the last people had left there, and it was just like looking at us right when we moved in, and we were like, "Ah, we're not in Kansas anymore. It was really special. Um, We had Owen in that apartment, and every time we drive by, he's like, that's my first home. I'm like, oh, honey. Oh, honey, you had no idea. Um, Well, okay, so we were living in the shack when we first um, got pregnant with Owen, and our feet took us to this childbirth class. Um, and in this childbirth class, you know, you learn all the things about what you're supposed to do. And, well, a lot of it was just sitting around chatting with other parents. I mean, like the first hour was basically like, so how's your week going? And this one lady talked the whole time. And, but what it did is it, it set the stage for us to meet other young parents who were in our same stage, um, who were about to have their first baby. And, and the vulnerability that that um, represents in a lot of people I decided, well, you know, they're probably looking for community. And so I I invited these eight young moms, after they had their babies, I invited them to um, the tiny shack, even though I didn't really think they'd want to be there, because it's gross. But I was like, you know, hospitality is not about what you got. It's about how you interact. So um, I didn't really think anyone would respond, but the first play date, all eight moms came. And eight babies. This is a picture of a Halloween play date where we forced our babies into costumes and made them sit on a couch together. Owen, Owen is the pumpkin. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the pumpkin on the right. Yeah, sorry, there's two of them. We're still friends with the pumpkin on the left. We are. Those boys are buddies. They're going strong in third grade. Finn Finn and Owen. Um, But see these, not cute these moms were hungry for relationship, right? Those playdates happened for years. They, they would cram into our apartment, drinking coffee, eating banana bread, sharing life, staying for hours. And, and that, that, that because our feet touched the same orange shag carpet, we were able to share our stories. I was able to share my rescue story with Jesus, how he rescued me and how he's continuing to rescue me. And they were able to share their stories, ask their questions, okay? Well, eventually we moved out of the shack, praise the Jesus, Um, and eventually we bought a house. And that's the house we live in now. Our house has a yard, but the yard is not where my children's feet go, the alley. (laughs) That's, our house backs to an alley and the alley is where it's at for my kids. It is like the cool place to be. I call them, I call them the alley cats. They're like, why do you call me that? And I'm like, because I'm funny. Um, The alley is where it's at. There's like this hill for some epic scooter races. The neighborhood kids just spill out of their houses and they just scooter race into this busy street. It's terrible. So we draw a line and we're like, don't cross this line, just put on the brakes. It's not safe, but... It's fun. Um, there's sledding. I mean, there's kids everywhere, um, and which means you know that my kids live out there in the summer. Which means that I, as their mother, find my feet going out there to make sure that they're still alive. Um, and where my feet have taken me out into the alley is is where my mission is. And um, this is a picture of these guys out in the alley. Isn't Owen's hair just something, man? And that's some of the neighbor boys sledding. Um, Whether I want it to be or not, our door is always open. Like we say that, my door is always open, kids. Well, it's actually always left open, (laughs) even when I tell them to close it. So because it's left open, the kids just walk into our house. Like random neighbor kids. They'll just walk in, and I'm like, oh, hey, and they just start talking to me. They start talking like, hey. They start eating my food right? Or they start playing Pokemon. <laughs> not with me. But they just, they just come in, and some of them will just start talking about God, you know, because they see a verse, or they just, you know, they just know. That's, that can be a place where I can just, you know, talk to Miss Jessica about whatever. It's great. It, it's, it's not, and it, it, I don't always have the best attitude about it. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, it's freezing. Close the door, but here you are, and where my feet are, though, there's my mission, right? It's not just the kids in the alley either. It's the moms that come outside to make sure their kids are still alive. <laughs> and it's become, alley's become this really sacred space where, where life gets shared. I mean, I've, it's a couple times I've prayed, prayed for moms out there. Or they just find out they got diagnosed with MS, one of them. She's out there sharing with me. I can, I can come alongside her. A few um, months ago, a Chinese family, um, immigrant family, moved in. And they'd been in the States for a while and just moved to Bellingham. In six years, they'd never once been invited into an American family's home for dinner. And so we invited them, and they're like, this is the first time we've ever been in an American home for dinner. And I was like, say, what? Six years? Come on, we can do We can do better, but I just... I just it, it it is where it is where our feet are it's where our feet it doesn't have to be this big mission trip or this big extravagant thing it's where just where our feet are there our mission is and and you know for you and your life and in, in your future that you cannot see where your feet are going to be it, it's going to it's going to look different from where my feet are okay but you will live somewhere <laughs> You will live somewhere. As much as you might want to stay wherever you're living in college, you can't stay in college forever. You will settle into an apartment or, or a house for a longer amount of time, and it will feel different. But, but the principle the is the same, isn't it? If you move into apartment 4B, then the people living in apartment 4A are your mission. You're going to live, if you get a job, you're going to live at your job for like eight to 10 hours a day and then the person in the cubicle next to you becomes your mission field, or, or the break room becomes your mission field, engaging, engaging the place you find your feet. Living that out now while in college is gonna enable you to do it after college. So what I want you to do um, for just a minute in your notebook, take a minute and answer this question. As you think about life after college, imagine where your feet might be Think of one or two places the Lord um, might, what did I say? Might want you to engage after you graduate. Okay, look at that question, answer it for just a minute, just to get you thinking. Okay. You can keep answering that question. Please do. Keep that conversation going. I want to end our time this morning um, with a story of where our feet took us last spring as a family. Um, our boys, Owen and Jack, they are in first and third grade, the public school in Bellingham. Um, and last year, so my feet take me into that school a lot. I volunteer in their classes, connect with the teachers. Um, but last year, we started reaching out to uh, a little boy in Owen's class named Logan. We had Logan over for a couple play dates, and pretty soon his brothers, two brothers, were like, can I come too? Um, This picture of the three boys. Um, We took him to Chuck E. Cheese at one point. Logan is the boy in the middle. Levi is on the left. Lincoln is on the right. Um, As we got to know these boys, we um, pretty quickly discovered they're homeless. we would pick them up from these real shady hotels, um, motels in Bellingham, or we would discover they were living out of their car. Um, and our house pretty quickly became a safe place for these boys just to, just to eat um, and to play and to be once in a while. And then, um, man, I'm not a crier, but this story just gets me. Um, one day last spring, we got a phone call from CPS which is child protective services, um, saying that they'd pulled the boys, taken them into the custody of the state. It was a pretty toxic environment they were living in, and that when the caseworkers picked them up, that the dad listed us, me and Jeff, as preferred guardians Aww. for these boys, um, four, age four, nine, and eleven, and you know. Uh, <laughs> Our plates, are pretty fu- our plates are pretty full. We have three spirited kids. Um, so in one phone call, we went from, you know, wow, Jeff and I were looking at each other. Wow, our plates are full with our three wild horses. Um, to this phone call asking us, will we consider taking three boys in t- as their foster parents indefinitely? Okay. Whew. Okay. Um, we weren't foster licensed. We aren't. Um, we we weren't trained, and really, we weren't heroes. Um, honestly, can I just say that the real heroes are the people who uh, who get foster licensed on purpose, <laughs> um, who consciously choose to do this? Like, wow, those those are the heroes. I mean, all we did was was open our home and have a few kids over for a play date once in a while before we got this phone call a pretty long story that I don't have time to share, but we ended up taking the youngest brother, Levi, on the left, um, and a teacher, this heroic teacher, the boys' teacher at school, ended up taking the older two boys, um, and we had this partnership where we would get them all together every day, and play, and make sure they felt connected, um, but really, we got this phone call from CPS, we... Prayed. We said yes. Worked out the details. We blinked, and there was Levi on our front porch being dropped off by CPS, like a couple days later. Um, there's a picture of Levi with Jeff making cookies early on. And he's a sweetheart. Jeff just like makes cookies. I don't know if you know that about him, but it's like his thing. Um, this was, uh, if you want to leave that picture up, this was new. Uh, this is pretty new territory for our feet. Um, this is new territory for Levi's feet. He'd been in foster care when he was a baby. He didn't remember it. This is pretty new territory for him too. And it was really painful at first. He, when, he first when we first dropped him off, he, he was screaming. He was crying. He was clinging to his brothers. He didn't want to leave. He was, um, he was terrified. He also was in a lot of physical pain. You can kind of see it in this picture, but when we first got him, he was covered head to toe in untreated severe eczema, like open and bleeding sores. All over his body, and we really, um, we really struggled to know how to help him. Um, He refused to take baths. Something about the bathtub scared him. So we put took this kiddie pool in our yard and like filled it with water and like snuck some soap in and said like, "Let's go swimming!" (laughs) and um, and he was into that. So we did that. We also. Um, We we tried sharing, you know, sharing Jesus with him, um, but he was super freaked out by that. Um, All he'd really been exposed to was like The Walking Dead and horror movies about zombies and like super crazy, scary video games. And so, um, you know, that was his lens into what God was like. So he didn't really want to hear about the supernatural. Um, But over that month that he lived with us, um, man, he, he started, like, singing about God. Um, my kids don't sing, okay? They, like, confront me if even, like, I start singing. They don't, they are not into that. But Levi, right, Levi would just sing it out unashamedly. He'd just start singing. Like, he'd make up these little songs suddenly, like, God is so nice, he is so nice, he is my God. Whew. And I, I mean, this was the same kid that when I, when I tried to comfort him the first night with like, God is with you. He's like, say what? Can you, Miss Jessica, you lock the door. Can you lock the door? Is he by the couch? I don't want God. I don't want, I don't want God. I want to kill God. I don't want him here. I want to shoot him. I mean, right? Because that's his only lens to the supernatural. I mean, that's the same kid. Now he's singing songs about God. He started praying in the mornings when we would pray. And every morning he would pray and he would pray and he would pray, he would pray for his dad. I mean, he, he stayed with us um, a little over a month and then by an actual miracle, a, a licensed foster family said yes to taking all three boys. They live five minutes from us and we can still be in relationship with these kiddos. See, Jesus took where our feet were, in the schools. And he used it to shape a little boy's understanding of him for the first time. Now I didn't know in college, when I was sitting where you're sitting, I didn't know that that I'd one day become an emergency foster parent. I would never have guessed. It, It was a future I could not see. But what I do know is that in college, that every choice I made to cooperate with Jesus's mission was an investment in my future, okay, in preparing me for what would come. And friends, I just have to say this. In college, I also missed opportunities to reach out. I mean, sometimes even though my feet were in one place, my heart was not on mission. Okay, I was learning, just like you're learning. And even nowadays, sometimes I'm on mission and sometimes I'm not. <laughs> and I'm still learning. And, and you know, the, the things that I just, the stories I, just, I share with you, they're the highlights, right? But my life is not one seamless series of spiritual highlights. You know, from one missional moment to the next. It, it ebbs and it flows and I readjust and God is working in me and growing me. And I want to invite the worship team, if you would come up, we're going to close. And I want to close, I just want to close with this one thought as we go, as we go back to our campuses. My thought is this, aren't, aren't we all like Levi? You know, in the end, aren't we just like him? We all need someone to find us, to bathe us, to call us their own? Even if you grew up in a stable home, don't we all still need rescuing? And as we end our weekend together talking about being sent ones, may you be captured again by your own rescue story. May may we identify with Levi May you not feel the pressure to go do more stuff for God. But may you be reminded again of his grace in your life. How he took you in. How he gave you a home. How he bathed you. How he called you his own. And that all he wants in this sent one stuff, all he wants is to extend that same grace and rescue to others. May you hear your adoptive Father in heaven speak this over you. Mark 111, you are my son. You are my daughter. With you I'm well pleased. And if you take nothing Else away from this weekend, Jeff and I, we want you to go out as sent ones, knowing how deeply loved you are by God. Because knowing that, knowing that deep down on the inside, that's what motivates us. What what inspires us. What, that, That's what gives us life. It's not just the message that we share, but the gospel is actually the means by which we share it. It's the empowerment we have to share it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for uh, adopting us. Thank you for welcoming us into your home, bathing us, healing our wounds, calling us by name, rescuing us. We pray, Lord, I I pray over these students that that would be the takeaway, is that we are rescued by you and that because of that, where our feet are, are the feet of others who need your rescue. So would you empower us, not with some, some set of obligations or rules or if I don't do this, then this, but would you motivate us by your love? <laughs> by our, may, 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 may our outreach come from the overflow of experiencing you. Just the overflow being so filled up by you, so filled up by your love and your grace towards us that it spills over onto those around us. May we share out of the overflow and not out of a a vacancy or a deprived place. So fill us up, we pray, Lord, and send us out. Amen.